people that you work with and love. You, you like it if you love the people that you work with. So in the all staff text thread a week ago Sunday, about an hour after church, our communications director sent all of us a text of me. I didn't know it, but during the sermon bumper video, I already cut my microphone on it. So I was kind of humming to that because we've, we've seen that, what, six out of these seven weeks of this series. So I was kind of humming along with it and I'm recorded. He records me doing that and sends it to all the staff. And it just, it didn't sound like I can sing fairly well and hum really good, but it just didn't, I wanted to defend myself. Like I sound better. I'm more talented than that, but nobody was really believing that. But I, I turned off my microphone today. So we're we're good to go. That's been deleted. And nowadays, you know, you got to go, you got to delete things and you got to go delete the deleted file. And I think, uh, you young people can tell me, I think once you delete the deleted file, it's all, it's over. It's out of there. I think. Well, we've been in Ephesians and we've been looking at some great things about being battle ready. I, I woke up this morning and saw where an airline, anybody got a flight this week, don't listen to the next minute of this sermon. But there was an airline that was coming from Turkey to New, to New York. I don't know if it's JFK or LaGuardia or wherever. Did y'all see this? And this Turkish airliner, they had unexpected turbulence. And uh, 30, I should stop smiling because it's a sad story. Uh, 30 people uh, got hurt. There were some people that were beaten up and bruised real badly. And a flight attendant actually broke her leg. They were not prepared. Anybody flying this week? Anybody? Great? Yeah, awesome. Um, that's like our worst fear when we fly, right? That's our worst fear. So trust Jesus when you fly. Trust Jesus always. But they weren't ready. It was, it was the key word was unexpected turbulence. And we can do better with turbulence if we are ready for it. We can brace ourselves for the turbulence. And I'm sure that injuries were greater and far more reaching. Probably the leg was broken because they had no idea it was coming. And that is the premise of this entire sermon series. And I think the book of Ephesians, it's be ready for battle. So y'all know what we've talked about. You've seen it there. I'm chosen. God chose you. He designed an intention to love you even before the foundation of the world. You're strong. You're you're chosen, you're strong, you're alive, you're filled. We looked uh, last week at being decisive about making the most of every opportunity, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And then what happens? Daylight savings time, which is evil. But we, we, we're called to make the most of every opportunity. We, ha- we talked about how time is cumulative, but so is neglect. And neglect is easy. It's super easy. There's nothing easier in life than neglect something of value. But while neglect is easy, neglect is costly. So we've been looking at all these things and Paul tells us in chapter one, hey, I pray that you can know the unknowable, that you'll be able to understand how much he loves you, how wide and deep and high and long is his love for you. So he's telling us these great things in chapters one, two, and three, and it remains great. But chapters four, five, and six, he starts telling us how we should walk in light of these things that are true. Here is how you, could, you should walk. And Ephesians chapter six, in a moment, we're going to read verses 10 to 12. It'd be good if you want to turn there. It'll be on the three screens and I am going to make a move here hopefully this will work and I'll pull this screen up a little bit because it appears that this is the screen of choice for many of you how many of you yeah you look right here okay here's the idea Paul believes this he believes there is an unseen world Paul believes there's an unseen world he wrote half of the New Testament about half of the New Testament is our estimate Jesus believed in an unseen world and I've shared with some of you, if you've been around me a while, you know that I went through a period of doubt. Of, I call it agnosticism related to the spiritual realm. Heavenly places, always been good with that. But the dark forces and all, I've, I've had my doubts before. But I stand before you today telling you that like Paul, I believe that there's an unseen world. 
There's something going on behind the scenes. Years ago when we lived in Southern California, I got to, invited by a friend who was a part of a, a roadie group of a big band at the Staples Center and he let us in. He got us tickets and let us in behind the scenes. And I remember going into a production area of Staples Center that's about the size of this entire sanctuary. And I remember just being blown away by all the, just all the gadgets and gizmos and the amazing number of buttons and things, just levers and pull switches and everything. Like, wow, there's so much here that you never think about. There's an unseen world in, in our world today, but this is spiritual. This is, this is heavenly. This is dark and demonic, but there is an unseen world. I want to show you a picture of a, a Hungarian physician. This is uh, Ignaz Simowas, and he uh, was a Hungarian physician. The year was 1864, and he was credited for, for helping doctors discover uh, more acutely the unseen world. He, his research, his curiosity, it always starts with curiosity, doesn't teachers and learners? Always with curiosity. This Hungarian physician in the mid to late 1800s was very curious, and he began to suspect something, that they were missing something. And aren't we glad for doctors? Aren't we glad for the evolution of doctors and the ideas that they brought to us, to our health and wellness and well-being? Well, this Hungarian physician uh, observed doctors, and this is uh, crude but true to say, these doctors uh, didn't understand germs, and they, they would not wash their hands. And he noticed doctors would be uh, finishing up on the corpse of a dead body, and moments later would, would go to a woman and deliver a baby. And they just didn't know what they didn't know. And this led to what was later called the germ theory, where this word microbes was discovered, which literally means um, little pieces of flesh. And this Hungarian physician, Archie Glad, over there in Europe in the late 1800s, he was credited with helping people, interns and doctors, to wash their hands. That, you know, prior to that time, everyone thought it's just everything's generated within and not really understanding that you can carry things with you, small things. And at a, there was a, he uttered a famous quote at an important conference for doctors in Austria. Gentlemen, your mom probably said this to you, gentlemen, for God's sake, wash your hands. And this was the beginning. But listen, when he was postulating his theory and beginning to talk about it openly, many doctors, uh, credible, intelligent doctors, didn't believe him. They thought this, they asked this question. Could it be destruction, death and destruction disease, is caused by something that we can't see? And that's where we are in Ephesians chapter 6. Could it be that destruction is caused by something, something that we can't see? So Ephesians 6, we'll get there in just a second. But so here's the big idea. First is um, that we live in a world, that there is, there is an unseen world. And the second idea here is that something is not right uh, in this world. Violent crime, political corruption, religious deception, moral deterioration, investigations, accusations, collusions, cover-up, locally, regionally, globally, universally. We know that there's just something not right in this world. It hurts, doesn't it? I talked to a parent this morning 
who yelled at their kids and had their head down and was forlorn about it. And it's like, I said I wasn't going to do it again. Why do I get angry like I do? And there's this world that's out there, and y'all, it's in here. We all have a heart that is deceitfully wicked. And time after time again, it fails us. And so we're living in this world, this world that we know that it's not right. And there's this yearning, this yearning for another world. There's a yearning for a better world. And some of us are, you know, we, we take that heavenly-minded thing uh, to an extreme. We're like, oh, this world just... Ugh. Just the next one, just the next one, just the next one. And while we do yearn, in fact, Paul would say in Philippians 3, for our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. We yearn, we ache for another world. But Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It is our job as followers of Jesus to help bring heaven to earth. But we know that something is not right in this world. Third point, beyond there's an unseen world, beyond something is not right in this world, It's not a fun feeling to know you have an enemy that wants to hurt you. A few weeks ago, I've been on quite a stretch lately. I had my wallet um, stolen this week. Uh, Susan thinks I lost it. I'm telling you it was stolen. I think I know the guy. We'll see. I'll tell you next Sunday how that goes. But some of you got emails from me. I'm raising money for some weird cause. Several of you text me. I'm getting weird emails from you. But I got a phone call kind of recently too of a guy who was representing the IRS. And he said that uh, I'm in trouble, I'm in deep weeds, and I owe in back taxes $50,000. And that I need to call him immediately. And I didn't call him, what, what do y'all think I did? Laura says no, Connie says no. I didn't call him immediately, but I called him a few days later. I just wanted to talk to the guy and see, you know, where this thing was gonna go. And he was fishing for my personal information. And I said to him, I said, let me, let me talk to my accountant. Now, y'all know I don't have an accountant. I don't have enough wealth. No one, I don't have enough wealth for any of you to manage, okay? So don't see me after church like you're going to be my accountant, all right? That's not going anywhere. But translation, my accountant is Susan, right? She chairs the appropriations committee at our home. Let me talk to my accountant because unless she's got something going on on the side, sort of Willie Nelson-like, I think we've been good on taxes. And he told me, hey, here's the thing. This is, your accountant has nothing to do with this. This is between you and the IRS. And if you give me your credit card number and give me $5,000 now, this thing can go away. What a deal. Like, he saved me $45,000. I thought about it, y'all. I thought about it. And then I realized, you know, this guy's scamming me. He's scamming me. And I called him out. I said, you are a scam artist, which is like an insult and a compliment together. But I said, you're a scammer. You're a scam artist. And he, he, before he hung up, he said, you know what? Have fun in jail. That's what he said to me. And I'm a sensitive guy. How many of you know that I'm a sensitive guy? It, uh, yeah, be careful when you criticize me. Just pray before you come see me with your criticism. Give me 10 compliments before you give me the criticism. I'm a sensitive guy. And I hung up the phone. Well, well he hung up the phone. And I, I thought there, I just sat there in the moment and thought, you know, I knew where that conversation was going. But it, it's... It just, it's just not a fun feeling to, to know that you have somebody that wants to hurt you. He would have taken my money. Y'all believe that, right? He would have taken my money over the phone. He would have taken $5,000. That's a lot of money for a preacher, right? And he wanted to hurt me. He didn't care that I was a family man, that I'm like many of you struggling to provide for a family. He wanted to hurt me. And here's the thing about this unseen world. I want you to follow what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 6 and to realize that's who we have. 
That's who we have in this enemy. Paul believed in an unseen world. Jesus believed in an unseen world. And can I tell you what Jesus believes, I believe. I've never known anybody. I've never known anybody whose teachings are more brilliant than Jesus, who understands reality better than he. And he believed in this unseen world and an enemy that wants to hurt you. There is the Greek New Testament word for the devil. It is this, diablos. And you can probably guess that diablos gives us our word, guess, diabolical, which means to accuse, to ensnare, which means to slander. And Jesus refers to the devil, hear me, he refers to the devil often. And he refers to him as a liar, as a tempter, as a deceiver, as a destroyer, as the original old serpent. In John 8, 44, one of the classic passages where Jesus goes off on religious people, you probably want to know this, he's going off on religious people who are holding other people back. Uh, they were hurting other people. What gets you angrier than that? Religious people hurting other people in the name of God. And Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he's the father of all lies. Quickly, as an overarching, uh, overarching manner, I want to tell you the stratagem of the enemy. He wants to work and he wants to work this way. His his end the end game the end goal the end of it all is did you get this it's your destruction he said more famously the enemy came to steal kill and destroy and from the beginning he has been a murderer no truth in him at all the end of his strategy is your destruction and the means do you know this and the means that he employs are lies lies and I want to say this, I'll probably end up saying it at the end. Look, a lie is only effective if you believe it. So everybody in here on spring break Sunday, everybody in here has been lied to. Everybody in here is lying to themselves. Y'all ever look at those studies from smart universities, research that shows you how many times we lie a day, how many times we practice deception and have it used on us. And we, we hear lies. They roll around in our head. Anybody hear some lies? I heard some last night going to bed. We hear lies, don't we? But they're only effective if you believe that they're true. Ephesians chapter 6, we're there, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the evil. I've already told you about it. His chief scheme to lie to you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you brought a guest today and this is your church home, you're probably thinking, oh no, is this where it gets weird? I knew it. I knew it. We want to have the ushers now bring forth the poisonous snakes. And no, just kidding. That's at the end of the service. Jesus believed. He believed in an unseen world. And there's this architect, this enemy, who's plotting against us. Now there is, um, 
a continuum. I did this last week in teaching about wisdom and about time. I want to do it again today. It's helpful. There's two extremes that I want to call a Christian paranoia on one side and then Christian passivity over here on this side. So Christian paranoia is the person that's like, man, Satan is everywhere. Like John 8, 44, that's like a life verse. They can quote all those devil verses, right? Some of you are like, I didn't know that was in there. Jesus spoke that way to somebody? But there are people, man, it's, it's, they're about Christian paranoia. It's Satan's and everything. Dead car battery, that was Satan. Somebody told me this week, man, Satan is attacking me. I told Susan Satan's attacking me. She's like, you just lost your wallet, bro. Look, you had a fight with your wife. That's not Satan probably, that's just you being selfish. And I want you to own that. But there is Christian paranoia, the phrase that you've heard me use, I'm borrowing this from somebody, is a demon behind every bush. There's a demon behind every bush and you fault find and you blame shift and you point the figure and that gives you a little bit of a better feeling and you're into it, man. You've read the books about spiritual warfare and darkness and all this, you can, you know, all the bestsellers, you're all about that. And there's Christian paranoia and we take it too far. And over here to this side is Christian passivity. And I hearken to C.S. Lewis who said that in this universe there is no neutral ground. We are in a fight. And some of us, it's the whole, whole hunch of this series is that we are not ready for the battle that we're in. And so it's so easy for us to fall into one of these ends of the continuum where we, we trumpet it too much or we're, we don't... We don't understand it and we're not aware of it at all or not to any healthy extent. So we are in a spiritual battle. And he says three things at the outset that we read. All right, he said these three things. Be strong, stand firm, put on the armor. Say it with me now. Be strong, stand firm, put on the armor. One more time. Be strong, stand firm, put on the armor. Be strong. Notice he says be strong. He doesn't say get strong. If somebody tells you to get strong, you're like, oh, okay, gym membership. I got to do preacher curls at Fonder and Fitness when they open, right? You got to get strong. And that's going to take weeks or months and it's going to be hard. It takes time and effort to get strong. And that's about you. But he says, be strong. And he's actually saying, you already possess it. When I was in seminary, it really helped me to understand the New Testament. When one of my professors told me, hey, there's positionally and practically. These things are true about you in Christ positionally. But practically, you have to walk it out. Do you know, I've been telling you every week, you're strong. In Christ, you're strong. But you may have been living, even during this series, very, in a very weak way, a very impotent, anemic way, not feeling strong at all. Positionally, you are. But practically, you and I, we have to walk it out. So be strong. Lean on Him. John, or Jesus would teach in John 15. He talked about pruning. He talked about... Uh, him being the vine and us being the branches about our joy teaching so that our joy would be full and he says to us that that our strength comes from not straining or striving but through staying abiding the the branch abides in the vine and the branch gets its sustenance and its strength from the vine where are you drawing your strength today is it in Christ Remember what he said in Ephesians 1, the same power, the same strength that resurrected Christ from the dead is available in you. Just ponder for a moment, don't you think our lives should be a little different? And rather than this being a point of condemnation, of weighing on you, what if it was a point of invitation that things could be different? God is showing his strength in our lives in a really cool way, and I love to see what he's doing. 
Don't get strong. You can go to the gym and get strong. Some of us need to, but be strong. Spiritually, be strong. And he says, stand firm. It was in, it's very interesting. Some of you will appreciate this. Only twice in the Bible does it tell us to flee. Uh, many, many times it tells us to stand and to stand firm. But twice it tells us to flee. Do you know those two times? It says flee from sexual immorality. Think Joseph and Potiphar's wife when he got out of town. Flee from sexual immorality and flee from the love of money. Not money, but the love of money. So I guess you could say when it comes to honeys and monies, it's too strong. You got to get gone, right? All right. Somebody, that's, that's why you're here at church today. When it comes to honeys and monies, you got to get gone because it's too strong. Don't think you can hang around honeys and money and not fall. All right? Thank you. It's too late for some of us, though, but God forgives. God's grace abounds. Where sin abounds, His grace superabounds. So flee when it comes to those two dangerous things. Isn't, isn't that wise? Like, flee. I'm telling you, I need to flee. You need to flee. Nobody's strong enough there. But time after time after time again, we're told to stand firm. And then he says, put on the armor of God. I'll be silly for a moment. He doesn't say put on the t-shirt of God or the parka of God or the, the Hawaiian shirt of God, uh, the Bermuda shorts of God. He says, put on the armor of God. And you can tell by the gear someone has. You can tell where they're going by the gear they have. If you were packing a suitcase for a trip, and, I, and by the way, a trip, if you have kids and you're traveling, with, there's a difference between a trip and a vacation. If you have kids and you're traveling, that's a trip, okay? You, you can't have kids on a vacation. You don't have a vacation if you have kids. So you may go on a trip, but don't call it a vacation. But if you go out of town and you don't have any kids, that's a vacation, all right? I don't have a verse for that, but it's just good. It's just good. Just, just take it. But if you're packing for a trip or vacation and I walk up behind you, I can, tell, uh, um, I can tell where you're going by what you're packing, by the gear. So if you're throwing in shorts and swimsuit and sandals, you're going to the beach. If you're throwing in you know, boots and gloves and scarves, you're going to the mountains or somewhere cold. I can tell because your gear, right, where you're going is determined by your gear. And Paul is saying here, put on the armor of God. And he tells us in doing so, he, he lists out this armor. I, I'm not taking the time to read it. Uh, some of you know it, but I want you to read it later. Daniel Wagner, our student pastor, did an excellent blog online that's on our sermon page. So check that out. It's really, really good. But the, there's this full armor that God gives us. And let me say this, you know, we learn a lot about the life of Jesus, about Paul, uh, about the New Testament world from extra biblical um, writings and archaeology and of course biblical writings and we know uh, we can learn Paul and his role at Ephesus by Acts look at Acts 28 16 it says this when we got to Rome Paul was allowed to live by himself that was like a privilege uh, with a soldier to guard him so Paul when he was writing this about spiritual warfare and putting on the armor of God he just had to look to his left or to his right because he had a Roman soldier right there with him and I know that he could look outside when he was in a jail cell with a window and he could see Romans, Roman guards and their armor. And he says this, put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, put on the shield of faith, the sword of salvation, um, the, the feet of peace. And so he lists these out. And I just want to quickly, I really want to focus as we um, round toward home in just a minute on the belt of truth. 
and the helmet of salvation because this is a battle, okay? Some of you that are really paranoid, this is a battle. It is a real battle and it involves your thinking, your mind, your emotions, and your will. And so I want to focus on these two as I understand biblically the chief stratagem of who the devil is. But a few of these quickly. The breastplate of righteousness. This, uh, as I've studied it, this breastplate is um, solid and it is to protect the, the organs, the major organs. So they wanted to make sure that they wore that. And righteousness, listen, Romans tells us that we have been justified by faith. We are made right with God. None of us are righteous. Isaiah would say, Isaiah 61, that your righteousness is like a filthy rag. If any of you think you're good enough to earn your way to God's favor, to curry his goodness, wrong. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's why we sing about Christ and his sacrificial death and his blood offering for us because it was shed for us and we have been made righteous. And you know what scripture teaches us? It teaches us since you've been made righteous, live like it. Isn't that a good thought? Like, because you've been made righteous, live like it. I did a, a couple of weddings this weekend. The one Friday night was here and Saturday last night was at the Fairview in Bellhaven and a crew of people, single folks that are fun and important part of our church. I was at Cups and they were walking into Fondren Public. And so I stuck my head out and I, I said, hey, be righteous. Y'all be righteous, okay? And be at church one service at 11 o'clock. Do we want to be righteous? Do we want to be righteous? Were they righteous? As far as I can tell, I watched them through the window. But look, righteousness, here's the thing. I do want to get serious for a moment. This is important. This is really important. And so many of us have secrets. And so many of us are hiding an element of our lives. And can I say that thing that you're struggling with, the thing that's not surrendered to him, the area where you're not being obedient, it's not a small thing. And for some of you, it's a ticking time bomb. And so this question for a moment, if you would, stillness, no movement, no noises as much as you can. I want to ask this question and then give you silence to ponder it. If you knew a year from now that the devil was going to bring you down, what would be the thing he uses to do it. For our online listeners this week, I'll read it again. If you knew a year from now that the devil was going to bring you down, what would be the thing he uses to do it? I've had a friend, he's a coach, and we don't really know each other that well. He visits our church from time to time, and he'll see me out in public, and he jokes that preachers only work one day a week, which is a lie from the pit of the devil himself. And I started, I thought, you know, I'll go on the offensive. I'm not just going to play defense. He's a coach, and I, I thought, you know, coaches, that's an easy job. You know, what do you do? Just flip a whistle and yell at kids, and, you know, it's a fun job. It's easy. So I started, you know, joking with him, and we sat down very recently and he was telling me more about his job and it was intriguing for me to realize how many hours he puts in I by the way I see some coaches I've never thought coaching is easy but I I was reminded uh, front and center of a coach who was telling me how hard it is and how many hours of how many hours he puts in and there are some nights he sleeps at the office and a lot of it is game film 
It's getting his team ready, but it's knowing the opponent. And hours and hours and hours, especially with the big games, they spend studying game film. And what are they looking for? Y'all know this. They're looking for a team's strength so they can offset the strength. They're looking for a team's weakness so they can counter and exploit that weakness. And I believe Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we have an, we have an enemy, Diablos, who is diabolical. He's a deceiver and the destroyer and the tempter and the servant of old. And he is powerful and he's intelligent and he's cunning and he will be aware of your weaknesses. And so it's not a small thing when a preacher stands up today on a spring break Sunday and asks you this question. I challenge you to think of it meditatively this week. There's a blessed plate of righteousness. And next it talks about feet, I believe it is. A shoes of peace. Shoes are important, right? I have too many shoes. It's not good for my budget or my marriage. So this year, I've decided to live more generously and simply to give more money away and spend less on me. But I do love a good pair of shoes. And shoes are important. Shoes are very important. You don't run a marathon in a pair of work boots. Like You need to have feet that are steady and ready and pertinent to the task that you're about to be doing. And that is so true in this area. And we lost our screen. Hopefully we're getting it back. In Romans chapter 15, uh, boy, Satan is really attacking me today. And then I tell you, uh, there's the shoes of peace. Some of you laugh. Some of you are like, okay, you're messing around with spiritual warfare. Devil's going to get you. Romans 15, 10. This is so beautiful. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This same chapter in Romans where Paul said, it is my ambition that I will go and preach the gospel where he has not been preached. And what did it get him is his life. But it is a beautiful thing. And hear me now, they did a survey, a CNN Gallup poll survey uh, just about a month ago on millennials and how important it is to share our faith. And we're losing this as a church. It's really important to share your faith, to be evangelistic. Not, I'm not saying being an evangelical, whatever that means anymore. A uh, lot, of, lot of negative baggage, okay? Don't want to fight. I'm just introduced something politically here in the last few minutes of the sermon. But it, it means to be evangelistic, to share because it's good news. And I say it often. I stand up here often in front of you without any adornment or eloquence and just say this. Y'all, this is good news. Like the gospel is good news. It really is. And the feet, arming ourselves with this offensive weapon in a positive way, it's a peace offering. And we need peace. Romans 5.1, we've been justified. We have peace with God. Romans 12.18, as much as possible, live at peace with other people. Isaiah 26.3, when, when we keep our mind perfectly steadfast on thee, you will grant us peace of mind. Isn't that a great gift? It's so rare, the person who has peace of mind. We're to have peace of mind, peace with God, peace with other people. And Jesus taught us that we are to be peacemakers. And so we have the shoes of peace, the gospel of peace. And then from there, there's another one that I want to just touch on. That's the shield of faith. And if, when you read this later in Ephesians 6, you'll see that it says to hold up the shield of faith. The breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, that's firm and that's fixed. But there is some mobility. But hold it up. Don't, when, when the battle is raging, hold up this shield of faith. Now, quickly, I'll keep this simple. What's better than one shield? Two shields. What's better than two shields? A bunch of shields. And I believe that Paul had this in, in mind when he saw the Roman soldiers because they would link up together in battle. And so I ask you now, are you linked up in this battle? 
Is anybody watching your back? Do you have people flank to your side and they're keeping an eye on you? I say it quite a bit. Every pastor needs a pastor. I don't want to be a fatality. And I call a couple of guys so often and they're watching me and I, I try to have a relationship with them where I'm not confessing sin that I've already committed that I've been trying to hide from people. I try to talk about the sin or the temptation that I'm dealing with, whether it's downcast in my thoughts or fears that I have, to talk to them. And you guys, we all need to be linked up into battle because when the Roman soldiers went into battle, there were many, many shields. And how often can you imagine one guy's shield helped save another guy? So link up. So as we close, I want to talk about this. It's the belt of truth because this chief stratagem of the enemy is what? It's, it's lies. He wants to destroy you, but the, the, that's the end. But the means are the lies that he tells. 2 Corinthians eleven four. 4, we don't have it up, but it says that he's the angel of light. The enemy is the angel of light. That means he deceives us. He deceives us often. When a hunter, if you're a turkey hunter or deer hunter, any kind of hunter, when you go in the woods, you don't announce your arrival. You don't herald it to the small defenseless animals that you're about to kill. No, you don't. You don't make loud noises or have neon signs. You go in all clandestine, all stealth light because that's going to help you defeat your enemy. And here in this passage, Paul is saying that's, that you need truth because the enemy's going to lie to you. And when I say he's going to lie to you, don't picture, okay? Don't picture like the devil on your shoulder, like, you know, Elvis is alive. Believe it. Believe it. You know, he's not going to lie to you about Elvis or Tupac, which who I hear is alive surfing in Huntington Beach. But he's not going to lie to you about silly things. What's he going to lie to you about? He's going to get to your heart. Because I'm just telling you, he studied the game film. He knows where you're strong and he knows where you're weak. And he's going to counter your strengths like a good coach. And he's going to exploit those weaknesses. And he's going to lie to you about things that get to you. Remember what he said at the beginning? A lie is only effective if you believe it. And he's going to know what lies you're prone to believe. Those voices in your head. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. I love this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And that's where he's going to work. Because here's how this, you never do this. You're never, you're never like, uh, it's 7.15. I got to be somewhere at 8.30. Uh, so I'm going to take time and lust. Like nobody does that. You don't do that. But you hear, you hear a lie about happiness. You think of a shortcut to intimacy. You think of a way for hedonistic pleasure for just a moment in that time. And so the lies, listen, the lies come to us with ideas. Like we all live with a mental map. You have a mental map. Okay, scientists and neurologists, psychologists are talking about this. You have a mental map. You have a mental map to work or school tomorrow. If anybody's going at spring break, maybe you're not going. But you know when you drive somewhere, you have a mental map. And if it's true, if it's true, you get there. If it's a lie, you get lost. And so it is. These ideas, okay? Uh, he lies about important ideas. Happiness, democracy, justice, romance, sexuality, money, leisure, work, freedom, individuality, pleasure. These are lies that he says to us. And from the very beginning, 
From Genesis 3 to Jesus and Matthew 4, where after his baptism, when the Spirit descended like a dove and the Father said, this is my good Son, whom I am well pleased. After that, he went into the, into the desert and he was tempted. And the devil worked with them like he works with you. From Adam and Eve to Jesus himself, he's working on you and me. And he's taking a little bit of the Word of God and he's causing you to question it. Here's the chief question that he asks us. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? He knows the word, he quotes the word, but he bends it just a little, and that's when you're deceptive. Did God really say that I can be content and single? Did God really say I should plow through this difficulty? Did God really say that I should wait on him? Does God really say that I should give? Does God really say, does God, did God really say that? And this is the question he asks us. And his, his stratagem is very, very effective. I want to ask Jennifer and the team if they would to come up as we begin to close. I want to ask you if you would, the same thing that you did in the call to worship, to bow your head and close your eyes. And think back to that question. That question about a year from now, if you were to fall, what area of your life would the devil use? To cause that fall. And I want to say it again. For some of you it's a ticking time bomb. And I want to say to you. Get help. Bring what is dark into the light. Have a friend who will fight with you. Father I pray for us. I pray that we'd be fighters. That we wouldn't be inflicted on one hand with Christian paranoia but not on the other with Christian passivity. That we would live in a way as Jesus taught. That there's an unseen world. There's something wrong with this world. And could it be what leads to our destruction is unseen, but it's not more powerful than what we have in you. God, help us to fight the lies with the truth. to get less screen time and more time at the feet of you, our Savior. To warm up to the sound of your voice and to let you speak into us. This battle that is fought with mind and feelings and emotion and will reigns supreme in us and link us together as soldiers in a fight. Let it be a fight where we bring good news, the good news of peace, the love of a Savior who speaks this gospel into us. In Jesus is our prayer. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing. And this um, altar is open for prayer. There'll be a couple of us down front that would love um, to pray over you. I went a little long today. Uh, that's, you know, we ha usually have the 930 service, which is like a warm-up. So I usually, they're the guinea pig. But um, let's let's still have a few minutes before time is up and let's let's give this time to him let's sing this song of praise and you come today if we can pray